Section 62 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annas from the city of Aarhus, Denmark. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3 by George W. M. Reynolds. Chapter 60 Sir Christopher Blunt's Domestic Hearth It was the morning following the incidents just related, and the scene changes to the house of Sir Christopher Blunt in German Street. The worthy knight and his lady were seated at breakfast. The table literally groaned beneath the weight of the cold viands placed upon it, for the ex-lady's maid was particularly addicted to good things, and she moreover thought that it was quite the rage to see cold fowls, ham, tongue, perigod pie, and all kinds of marmalades spread for the morning repast. Lady Blunt was in her glory of premeditated negligence and studied dishabille. She was arrayed in a pea-green silk wrapper, trimmed all down the front with scarlet boughs, and the cape was braided with the same glaring hue so much affected by a certain lady of Babylon. Her cap was decorated with ribbons likewise of scarlet, and she wore red slippers. Her appearance was indeed most flaming, as she lolled in delightful lassitude in capacious easy chair with her foot upon an ottoman. A stranger would have thought that so fine a lady could not possibly touch anything more substantial than a thin slice of toast or half a muffin for her breakfast. But she had in reality paid her respects, and with a good will also, to every dish upon the table. Sir Christopher was seated opposite to her, looking like a fish out of water. For in order to please his dear wife, or rather to have a little peace and quiet in the house, he had consented to adorn his person with a light blue dressing gown, fastened by a gold cord and huge tassels at the waist, and a pair of bright red trousers, large and loose like a Dutchman's. Moreover, a scarlet silk cap with a long gold tassel was perched airily over his left ear, so that altogether he seemed as if he were dressed out to enact a part of a Turk at a masquerade. "'Shall I cut you a little slice more ham, my love?' inquired Sir Christopher in a mincing tone, as if he were afraid of receiving a box on the ears for not speaking civilly enough. No, Sir Christopher, answered the lady sharply. You shan't send me a little ham, as you call it. I don't like the ham, and that's flat. And yet, my love, that is, my dear, remonstrated the knight gently. And yet what? demanded his wife. I think I had the pleasure of helping you three times, my love added Sir Christopher, astonished at his own boldness in uttering the words the moment they had escaped his lips. Three times, ejaculated the lady, turning as red as her ribbons or as her husband's trousers. And if I like to be helped six times or nine times, Sir Christopher, what would you say then? Well, my love, I should say, what should you say? Again asked the lady, assuming a menacing attitude. Why, my love, that you had a very good appetite, responded the knight, 
looking as miserable as if he expected eight fingernails to fasten on his cheeks the very next moment. I have no appetite, Sir Christopher, cried the lady in a petulant tone as she sank back again into her lounging attitude. Three miserable bits of ham and a trifle of cold pie, with maybe a taste of the chicken and just one cut of the tongue. And two eggs, my love, suggested Sir Christopher meekly. Well, and two tiny eggs, continued the lady. I'm sure that all that doesn't say much for one's appetite. Why, when I was a lady at Hatfields, I used to eat three great rounds of bread and butter, crustiness and all. But you are no longer at Lady Hatfields, my angel, said Sir Christopher, simpering. You are with one who adores you, who has given you his name, a name, I flatter myself, that carries weight with it in certain quarters. Although, when I did so far forget myself as to put up for Port Soken. Now, Sir Christopher, pray let us have none of that nonsense, if you please, interrupted Lady Blunt, in a tone and with a manner which showed that she knew full well she should be obeyed. I can't bear to hear even the word Alderman mentioned ever since a lady I lived with once in the city talked something about the Guildhall Police Court when she missed the silver spoons. My dear, my dear, said Sir Christopher, you forget that you are now Lady Blunt. Pray, let us change the topic. Well, so we will, she cried sharply, and I'll tell you what we'll talk about. What, my best love? asked the knight. Your best love, almost shrieked the lady. Then you must have other lovers if I'm your best. Oh, Sir Christopher, was it to hear this that I gave up everything? All my prospects in life to become yours? My dear girl, said the knight meekly, I most humbly submit to you that I do not think you had so very much to give up when I asked you to become Lady Blunt. What? Do you call a good place and being my own mistress nothing to give up? cried Charlotte. Twenty-four guineas a year and the chance of marrying a duke or prince. Well, well, my love, we will not dispute, said the knight, who in his heart wished to God that she never had given up the prospect she spoke of, or that she had married some duke or prince, in which latter case Sir Christopher would not have envied either his grace or his royal highness after the trifling experience he had already enjoyed relative to the fair one's temper. No, I should think you would not dispute either, Sir Christopher, cried the vixen, tossing her head, but I was going to tell you what we would talk about when you interrupted me so rudely. I was going to say that I do not approve of that ham, or yet the chicken, or yet the tongue, and I do not mean to have my breakfast spoiled in this way. Ring the bell, Sir Christopher. My dearest Charlotte. Ring the bell, Sir Christopher, repeated the lady in a still more authoritative tone as she looked daggers nayed regular bayonets at her miserable husband. The knight rang the bell accordingly, gulping down a sigh, a very profound sigh at the same time. A footman answered the summons. John, said the mistress of the house. Yes, my lady, was the reply. Tell Mrs. Botkin to step up immediately, added the wife of Sir Christopher's rash choice. Yes, my lady and the footman disappeared 
thanking his stars that he was not in for it, the bad humour of his mistress being very evident indeed. In due time, Mrs. Botkin made her appearance in the shape of a stout, matronly-looking female, of a certain age, as a housekeeper ought to be. For Mrs. Botkin was neither more nor less than high female functionary in the establishment. Mrs. Botkin, said Lady Blunt, endeavouring to distort her really pretty face into as stern an expression as possible. Yes, my lady, returned the housekeeper. That ham is detestable, Mrs. Botkin. Indeed, my lady. The cold fowl is abominable. Sure now, my lady. And the tongue is frightful. Lock a daisy. Your ladyship don't say so. I do say so, though, Mrs. Botkin, cried Sir Christopher's better half. And I just tell you what it is. I don't mean to have my breakfast spoiled in this way. And if you can't find tradesmen who'll supply good things. Why, please, your ladyship, interrupted the housekeeper, quite astounded at these accusations against comestibles, which she knew to be excellent. Mr. Smuggs, who sent in the ham and tongue, is purveyor to his majesty. And then if his majesty chooses to put up with Mr. Smuggs' rubbish, Lady Blunt will not, exclaimed the mistress of the house, glancing indignantly first at the petrified Mrs. Botkin, and then at the dumbfounded Sir Christopher. There was, as romancists say, an awful pause. Mrs. Botkin knew not whether she was standing on her head or her heels. Sir Christopher was in an equally strange state of bewilderment as to whether he had heard aright or was labouring under a delusion, and Lady Blunt was triumphant in the impression she had evidently made upon her audience. But my dear angel, my love, at length stammered the knight, surely you will not, that is, you, you cannot, I appeal to you, my sweet, as a, as a woman of sound judgment. Sound fiddlestick, Sir Christopher, interrupted her ladyship contemptuously. I know what I'm saying, and I mean what I say. Mrs. Botkin, I order you once for all not to deal no more at smugs. And if you can't choose good things, you better pack up your things and go about your business. Now it happened that Mrs. Botkin had managed, during long years of servitude and by rigid economy, to scrape together a very comfortable independence. And, feeling that she was independent, she did not choose, as she afterwards observed to a friend, to put up with any of Mrs. Nonsense. Go about my business, eh? she accordingly exclaimed. Well, ma'am, the sooner I do that, the better, I think. For since I can't give satisfaction here, I'd much rather resign at once. Resign, echoed Lady Blunt, again turning red as her ribbons. Yes, ma'am, continued the housekeeper. Resign, I said, and you ought to know that's the right word, for I believe you wasn't always used to sit in the parlour. Oh, you wretch! exclaimed Lady Blunt, now manifesting a violent inclination to go off into hysterics. Sir Christopher, can you sit there and hear me insulted by that audacious woman? Turn her out of the house, Sir Christopher. Let her bundle, neck and crop this minute. I rather think there's no need for bundling in the matter, said the indignant Mrs. Botkin. 
Sir Christopher is too much of a gentleman to ill-treat me, after being eleven years in his service come next April. But I don't require no favours at your hands, ma'am. Leastways, I wouldn't accept them if they was offered. And in a most stately manner, Mrs. Botkin walked out of the room, leaving the door wide open behind her. Sir Christopher, exclaimed Lady Blunt, bursting into tears, but tears of rage and not shame. Yes, my love, said the knight, who was rendered so nervous by this scene that he appeared to be laboring under incipient delirium tremens. You're a brute, Sir Christopher, cried the angel in the pea-green wrapper and the red bows. My, my dear, my love, stammered the knight. It was not my fault. You brought it on yourself. I really think... Oh, I did, did I? screeched Charlotte, and unable to control the fury of her passion, she darted upon Sir Christopher, adown whose cheeks the marks of her nails were in another moment rendered most disagreeably visible. Lady Blunt! vociferated the miserable man, struggling to extricate himself from the power of the fury. There, now I've taught you not to nag me on another time, said Charlotte, throwing herself back into her chair, already sorry and ashamed for what she had done, but too deeply imbued with vulgar and mean-spirited pride to manifest the least proof of such compunction. Sir Christopher wiped his bleeding face with his cambric pocket-handkerchief. But his heart was too full to speak. He felt all the indignity which he had just sustained, and yet he had not courage enough to resent it. The embarrassment of the newly married pair was relieved or rather interrupted by a loud and unusually long double knock, which at that moment awoke every echo, not only in the house itself, but also halfway up German Street. A few minutes elapsed, and then the footman entered the breakfast parlour to announce to Sir Christopher that a gentleman who had been shown into the drawing-room wished to speak to him immediately upon most urgent business. At the same time the servant placed upon the table a card bearing the name of Captain O'Blunderbuss. "'Tell the gentleman I'll be with him in a moment, John,' said Sir Christopher. The servant bowed and retired. Do you know who he is? asked Lady Blunt. No, I do not, responded the knight, more sulkily than he had ever yet dared to speak to his wife. Come now, Sir Christopher, exclaimed her ladyship. Don't have any of your ill humours with me, because I can't bear them. Say you're sorry for what you've done, and I'll not only forgive you, but also patch your face for you with diachylon plaster. Come now. Do what I tell you. And as her ladyship seemed to examine her fingernails, as she spoke, in a manner which portended her readiness to make another onslaught, the miserable husband muttered a few words of abject apology for an offence which he had not committed, and the amiable Charlotte vouchsafed a pardon which she should rather have besought than bestowed. Then there was a little fond or rather foolish kissing and hugging, and this farce being concluded, the lady hastened to fulfil her promise relative to the diachylon plaster. When this operation was likewise ended, Sir Christopher cast a rueful glance into the looking-glass over the mantel, 
and never did a more miserable white see reflected a more woefully patched countenance. The wretchedness depicted on that face, apart from the long slips of plaster stuck upon the cheeks, contrasted in a most ludicrous fashion with the absurd splendor of the night's morning attire. And to use a common phrase, he wished himself at the devil as he wended his mournful way to the drawing room. End of chapter 62